Hello, Duck fans! Welcome back. It's a Monday edition of Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Jordan Long, and I hope you had a good weekend. I do want to always give a shout out to the essential personnel out there keeping the world running and taking care of uh, coronavirus patients and working the, the front lines. So thank you very much for that. want to take a second to acknowledge that. On the other side of the intro, we're going to be jumping right into an interview that I had with the host of Locked On Giants, Patricia Trena. Fantastic host, fantastic interview, some really good stuff that we talked about. You can find Patricia on Twitter at Patricia underscore Trena. That's T-R-A-I-N-A. And you can follow her show, Locked On Giants, at Locked On Giants on Twitter. You can always follow this show at Locked On Ducks, and you can find me on Twitter at the Dust Off Guy. And you can send in comments, questions, etc. using the hashtags AskLodPod. That's hashtag Ask L-O-D-P-O-D. We're gonna jump right into it. Reach down here and turn the dial. The American in front, almost a cult in the United States. He's a sort of athletic beetle. Today, we have the Oregon Ducks on deck, and here to help us break everything down is Jordan Long. He is the host of Locked on Ducks. So, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on with me. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure, and I uh, feel real lucky that uh, we're able to work from home doing what we do during these times. Absolutely. So uh, let's make it a good one. I mean, lots to talk about with the NFL draft. And Jordan, I want to start off now, you know, I'm looking at the the combine participants where, you know, that's, those are the main, I guess, guys that we're going to look at now. Justin Herbert is obviously the the big name of the batch. The Giants don't need a quarterback. So I, I don't think Justin Herbert per se is going to be in the mix. But what I do want to ask you because this is kind of relevant to the Giants, is what have you heard about where Justin Herbert might be going, which teams want him? And the reason why I ask is because that could have ramifications for whether or not the Giants can engineer a trade. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And uh, especially with, uh, you know, Redskins, Giants, and some of these other teams that have top picks, where the quarterbacks go, and, and I, I can even throw Jordan Love into this conversation, where the quarterbacks go is going to make a big difference for what uh, uh, Dave Gettleman's able to do. One of the reasons I, re- I really uh, emphasize the Chargers is because I'm, right now is kind of mock draft time. And, of course, we got the draft network and all this stuff. And mocks are notoriously unreliable but fun to talk about. And... I really think the Chargers are Chargers are in a good situation now. On on my show, I've talked about how Justin Herbert has various scenarios where he could fall to the Patriots at 23, or because the Cincinnati Bengals were, you know, coaching the Senior Bowl, they've ha- actually had more face time with Justin Herbert than Joe Burrow. So there's just there. It really is given given the the landscape right now. Um, difficult to pin down where he can go but um i do see him being a top 10 draft pick and uh possibly a a top five i know miami has expressed interest in him and uh some doubt about uh tua's uh medicals 
That's interesting. I mean, I'm curious to see how those quarterbacks fall because I had heard something about where maybe Tua isn't in Miami's crosshairs, that maybe Miami trades up with Detroit or something to get the quarterback they want. And I had heard them link with Justin Herbert. So um, right now, a lot of smoke starting to develop in terms of the quarterback. But it is, like I said, a, a very important aspect because the Giants are in the market for trading down. And I think if they're going to trade down, it's going to probably have to be with a quarterback needy team, unless there's a team like the Raiders, who I, I think had been linked with Derek Brown, the defensive tackle, who maybe want to see if they can get up. But still, even if I'm the Giants, I don't go down too far in this draft, not when there are offensive linemen that I might be targeting. And speaking of offensive linemen, the Ducks have, I think, three guys. Uh, Jake yeah. Hansen, they have uh, Shane Lemieux and Calvin Throckmorton. So let's start with Hanson. Tell us a little bit about uh, him and what he brings to the table. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you uh, some, some general things about uh, these three guys, and then uh, I can get into specifics about each one. It's important to remember that last season, uh, the, the Ducks had the most experienced offensive line in, in the country. And uh, these three gentlemen have played they're they're Ironmen basically, especially Shane Shane Lemieux. Uh, uh, Fifty-two starts, and, and we'll get into that in a second. But um, uh, they it's important to remember that they have played for three different coaches and three different schemes. Right, the post Chip Kelly era has been tumultuous at best, and we're finally riding the ship this year. Obviously, winning the Pac-12 and uh, the Rose Bowl, but there was a period of time where they were finding their footing. Now, I think that's going to benefit their their draft capital quite a bit insofar as they're they've experienced different schemes and when you have when you have guys starting in, in all these all their games over the period of three and four years uh in these different schemes they could potentially be day one starters now i'm kind of a fan of the i i think the best scenarios to to get a guy with a year of tutelage behind uh, an experienced person, or in, especially in the case of the New York Giants, with uh, uh, what is uh, Daniel Jones's second year, right? So, so getting, for example, uh, uh, Jake Hansen as center, I wouldn't want him to start on day one. I'd want him to develop and learn communication uh, uh, with. Uh, Daniel Jones. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And that's actually an argument that I had made about, you know, bringing on a center, you know, especially a high pick. I don't know that I would take a center in the first round, maybe the second, second round or, you know, what was available late in the third round when the Giants pick, I would look there, but totally agree with you on that. If it were a more experienced quarterback, I might feel differently, but Definitely not with a, a an inexperienced guy. So anyway, sticking with Jake Hansen, give us a little bit more of a scouting prospect, if you will, on him. Absolutely. Yeah, Jake Hansen is a really interesting prospect because a lot of the, the doubts about him have been with regard to his amount of strength. Now, personally, I think he's a prototypical center for the new NFL. And you know, some of those people out there know I'm, I'm an Eagles fan, so obviously this is going to be a, a biased comparison. But Jason Kelsey is, you know, a future Hall of Famer, and he's smaller. He's more athletic. It's more about communication. It's not about manhandling the nose tackle like, like in the, the old days. And I think that Jake Hansen really fits that mold. 
and these doubts about his strength were really put to rest. I mean, this kid attended a, a training camp with Shane Lemieux. They actually skipped the All-Star Games to go to, uh, I guess, former NFL lineman Charles Bentley does a, a O-line performance uh, center. And so they, you know, practice snapping balls and, and practice different positions on the line. But the point is, is that he took the time to improve his game heading into the draft. And when he showed up on draft day, Jay Canson ripped off 33 repetitions on the bench press. Now, a lot of people downplay the performance on draft day, but when it's a good score, we want to talk about it. And this is the fourth highest bench press overall and puts him like, like six reps above the average for a center. So he really put to rest these issues of strength or these concerns about his strength. He did cross training when he was in Arizona as a guard. I think that he has the potential to definitely be a solid backup coming out of the draft and maybe a year two starter. What type of, um, just, I, I should have asked this at the beginning before we started talking about the offensive lineman, but what type of scheme, uh, blocking scheme did they run out there in Oregon? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And when I was talking about things in general, I should have mentioned this, but uh, once they finally settled into Mario Cristobal's offense, it is a zone blocking scheme. But you have to remember that in addition to that, Cristobal's running, you know, about two thirds, uh, well, not quite two thirds, about 55% runs and 45% pass. And so these guys are adequately prepared to block for the run, which I'm really excited about with how it relates to the New York Giants because now I, I think the Saquon Barkley pick might not have been that popular, but I love the guy. I love what he brings to the table. I think that running backs are totally underrated. And if you have a franchise running back like that, you need people like like are coming off this Oregon front line to be able to open lanes and create space for someone like Saquon to run. Absolutely. And the Giants, I think, are going to want to do some more in, in terms of the outside running. Um, last year, the offense, all they did, it seemed, was run Barkley up the middle, not his strength. They need right. road graders to get up the middle, and, and they just weren't getting that last year. And it was very frustrating, obviously, to watch them do the same thing over and over again. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. You are listening to Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Jordan Long. And when we come back from the break, we're going to have more of my interview with Patricia Trena from Locked on Giants. Patricia Trena here with you. We are breaking down the various college programs. And today we are doing Oregon. And we have Jordan Long with us. And uh, Jordan is talking about now we're, we're on offensive linemen. We just finished talking a little bit about Jake Hansen. Uh, Jordan, let's talk about these other two guys, Shane Lemieux and Calvin Throckmorton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Shane Lemieux first and then get to Calvin Throckmorton. Shane Lemieux is really kind of known as this Iron Man. He played all practices and all games during his career. And when he was asked about it, it's because his attitude was like, I can't let my teammates down. I have to show up at everything to be that guy. I got to be dependable. And again, he attended that LB O-Line Performance Center in Chandler, Arizona to improve his game. Now, one of the complaints about Shane Lemieux is that, that he's very top heavy and that his ankles and lower body can't support the, the, the kind of strength that's coming from that. But 
I really think that this is something that can be developed because he has those traits that can't be coached that, you know, you can't teach that. And when, once you train this guy, and, and again, we're talking about, this is why I preface the conversation with, we need the, it would be best for, for these folks to, especially on the Oregon line, I'm not going to be uh, that homer that says these are elite top tier talents. These are prospects who will do best in a backup role for one year and then have the potential to really break out as a starter in year two. And I think Shane Lemieux is really going to be that guy. Now, what makes Shane Lemieux a little different than his counterparts on the line is that he played the same position, right? He's staying at guard. Now, he was he was practicing snapping balls, and uh, Aaron Fentress, who's, he's from The Athletic, but he, he covers the Oregon Ducks, he, he said if, if Shane Lemieux could play center, he'd be a, a coveted commodity. And Shane actually ran the 40 and 5'11", which is pretty doggone good for a, a guard. But, but getting back to the point, his, his focus on the guard position, I think, make him one of the most likely or, or best prospects to be able to start on day one. Yes, it would be the best scenario if he could, you know, learn from some experience for a year before, and, and as a backup before starting. But I think Shane Lemieux is the best prospect to be a day one starter. Yeah, think the thing with that is, is, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he play it on left guard or was he a right guard? Yes. Uh, left guard. And that, that's primarily where he played, right? Right. Yeah, and the Giants have Will Hernandez going into his their third year with him. So um, I think, it, you know, with Shane Lemieux, if a team had a need for a left guard, um, then it would make sense. But other than that, I, I think, you know, the analysis that they learned center – and let's face it, when a lot of them get to the NFL, a lot of these interior guys are asked to learn uh, another position. So – that certainly would not surprise me if that were the case. So with that said, um, when you look at Shane Lemieux, does he have what it takes uh, in, in terms of, you know, size, strength, power, and so forth to anchor that center position if he is asked to do so? Yeah, I think so. He is powerful, powerful man. And I think that he's good enough to – and I think these training camps are underrated. And I want to lend a lot of weight to the fact that – he went down there to practice versatility as well as developing his game so that he has the, the size and strength to play guard. But if you can get this guy to snap balls, he's going to be premier center. And I think that the Giants are really well equipped. One of the things that I, I really appreciate about uh, this conversation is that you have four seven rounders, these comp picks from the Saints and whatnot, just give you an opportunity to, to mine for gold in the later rounds. I hate to say it, Shane Lemieux may be gone by the fifth round, and I'm not sure that the Giants are best suited to spend that you know 110th pick on him. But if, if he's around in that fifth or sixth round, I would, I would totally go for him as a developmental prospect that they could train up. And, well, that's the thing, right? Is, is Dave Gettleman really looking to train up someone for two or three years from now? Or is he looking to uh, hit it out of the park in, in this year? Well, it, considering what they've done the last two years, I think the priority is to get the train going in the right direction. So I would think that, you know, with the offensive line, the two needs for the Giants are at center and tackle, with tackle being the, you know, the, the primary uh, need. But with that said, you want to add depth. 
because you know they 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 really the depth they have behind some of these guys are it's just you know they have Nick Gates who's a good solid depth player but you just you just need offensive linemen you need to have a good eight or nine guys that you can push in there as as needed and I just don't know that the Giants have that to be honest with you. Well, that actually, I think this is a good time to jump over and talk about Calvin, great football name, Throckmorton. He played left tackle. In his 52 starts, he played 42 of those at left tackle and has actually played every position. He is the quintessential jack-of-all-trades, someone who can play at all five positions if necessary. And he could be starting for you at left tackle and then backing up, if necessary, other positions. So I really, really like Calvin Throckmorton. Six foot five, 309 pounds, big guy. You know, he plays well on the edge as well as inside. And we talked earlier about how the Giants might be looking to, to work that edge in the coming year. So that's good. He gets anchored. He's very powerful. I, I think the term is powerful in a phone booth, right? And that's, that's definitely Calvin Throckmorton. One of the criticisms, though, is that he lacks flexibility and balance. And again, this is something that that NFL level coaches might be able to train him up on. So his versatility and his power can really lend itself to a, an excellent prospect. He actually he's actually getting a degree in human physiology and wants to be a doctor after his NFL career. And he said he considers himself an intelligent surgeon of the offensive line. That's his self-described trait. You know, I got a soft spot for the like the smart guys. And to be honest, the offensive linemen score the highest average wonderlick score. And I think that having these guys who are brilliant, I love that intelligent surgeon. This is the kind of guy who can communicate what the center wants from the quarterback and get it across the line and be extremely effective. That's pretty interesting because usually when a guy comes from college and he, you know, he's been a jack of all trades, you wonder if he was a master of any of them. And mm -hmm. a lot of times that's not the case. But where does he project? Where does Throckmorton project at the next level? I, I did a show where I ran the Draft Network's mock draft 100 times to see where Oregon draft prospects would land. And again, this is a this is a mock draft, right? So, so that has to be taken into account. But he was fairly consistently going in the late 100s and early 200s, like the sixth, early, late sixth, early seventh round. And if he's available at that point, you got to scoop him up. I mean, this guy is so versatile, so smart, so strong that I think you're talking a diamond in the rough. Yeah, but where would you play him, though, at the next level? I think that it, it, the dream scenario is that he can develop behind a, a left tackle. But I think Calvin Throckmorton has the potential to be a starting left tackle and maintain that position for a number of years. And that, of course, is certainly a position that the Giants are going to have to address. Uh, not this year. I think they're going to stick with Nate Solder, who is mm -hmm. their incumbent. Uh, but certainly down the line, Nate Solder has uh, this year and next year left on his contract. But I would be very, very surprised if he's here next year, especially if the Giants do end up drafting a tackle and developing a tackle to step in and play for him. I mean, the Giants offensive tackles, you know, the last couple of years, they've had their issues. I mean, Solder with uh, he's he's been was banged up last year. He also had the, right. the thing going on with his son. 
who's undergoing cancer treatment. So a lot of things going on, you know, for, for solar, but still look, if you're out there, um, if you're, if you're going to set foot out on the field, you got to bring it. You can't use any excuses. And, you know, to his credit, Nate has never been one to use excuses, but still you kind of hate to see what has become from him because at one point he was a pretty good left tackle. I really think when it comes to Calvin Throckmorton, maybe you could even start him as a guard while he's under the tutelage of Solder. And then when he moves on, right, you can swing Calvin out to the tackle position. Yeah, unfortunately, though, I don't think there's any room at the end there because, like I said, they have yeah. Will Hernandez and they have Kevin Zeitler. I, and unless those guys are injured, I, you, you're not going to see either one of them going on the bench. But certainly, you know, in practice, they can develop them. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, if he has – if Calvin has that – versatility, maybe even teach him a little bit of center and just kind of see where he ends up projecting uh, to be his best fit would be my guess. I mean, I don't know if he has the, you know, at, at the next level, can he, is he too tall to be a center? What is he like six, five or something like that? Six, five. Yeah. And, yeah I mean, he might he's be one too of the tall. bigger centers, but he's definitely uh, uh, smart enough to run that communication game. He, I think he had three or four starts as a center. It should be noted, too, that he had a kind of underwhelming performance at the Senior Bowl, and I want to defend that for a second by saying he got the call on Tuesday to come to play in the Senior Bowl because he was uh, a a late entrant, and uh, they actually asked him to. He played three different positions in that game, and so what you see on tape at the Senior Bowl shouldn't necessarily be how we judge this draft prospect. Okay, good to know. I mean, because certainly, you know, you, you, you look at some of that stuff and all that goes into consideration, as does the game tape and, and whatnot. So, um, fortunately, the Giants look at everything. They don't, you know, weigh one thing over the other, I don't think, at any rate. So, um, we'll see how how they feel when, when the opportunity comes up, if Throckmorton is a fit. So, this is Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Jordan Long. And when we come back from the break, we will continue with Patricia Trena from Locked On Giants. Welcome back to Locked On Ducks. We're with Patricia Trena. And I am joined by Jordan Long. He is the host of Locked On Ducks. And we are covering Oregon, their draft prospects. And we have done the offensive linemen. We talked a little bit about Justin Herbert and where he might end up going in the draft as it relates to the Giants and, and a possible trade down. I want to talk about a couple of other of these remaining prospects. There's a receiver, Jawan Johnson, in a very, very deep def- uh, wide receiver class. What can you tell us about him and what type of receiver he is? I love that you brought up Jawan Johnson, and I think – that he's an incredibly underrated receiver. And obviously that has to do with, as you mentioned, this very deep wide receiver class, especially when so many teams are looking for speed. That a guy like Juwan Johnson, in my 100 mock drafts on the, the draft network, literally never got drafted at all in, in, in 100 uh, mock drafts, which shocked me because the guy is a, a mountain of a man, six foot four, 230 pounds. And I was really hoping that he could go to the combine and run in the low four fives. He actually ran a four five eight, which isn't bad, but all of his other drills kind of put him in the middle of the pack. And 
Well, I, I guess his three-cone drill was uh, second among wide receivers. But uh, anyway, what this guy brings to the table is is catchability, right? We, we hear these cliches. It gets the 50-50 ball, can climb the mountain and pull it down, and this kind of thing. Now, what I think is a really interesting conversation for Juwan Johnson, and I'd love to know how this fits into the Giants' needs, but I think he's, and I'm doing an Eagles reference here, I think he's a Joshua Perkins type of tight end where he can jump from the Y to the slot without, without missing a beat because he's so big, so sure-handed, but can also uh, has a decent amount of speed. It's interesting. And the Giants can certainly use a big guy. You know, they don't really have a, I think their tallest receiving target is six foot three. And, you know, you think back to the Super Bowl to, uh, in 2007, how they had Plaxico Burris and, what a difference he made. And just to have a guy who can, you know, go up for the jump ball and, and, and be physical and win those battles, and especially against the smaller defensive backs, so important. And uh, just not really something the Giants have had much of, you know, in, in recent years, but such a historically deep wide receiver class. And I'm just wondering, where do you project him to go? Where do you see Johnson, who, by the way, I think is a New Jersey native, where do you see him being drafted? What round? If he gets drafted, it's going to be in the the seventh round or or an undrafted pickup. Um, there, the, the receiver class is so heavy that I think GMs have to be doing their homework really to find uh, a guy like Juwan Johnson. And if you remember, uh, Oregon's pro day was one of the last to happen before the sports apocalypse. It was March twelfth, and he was catching balls from Justin Herbert at the pro day and really put on uh, a, a good show. His mediocre combine performance, I don't think hurt his prospects simply because simply because he's going to be going in the later rounds. But if this guy is available, and I see, I'm looking at these, you know, four seventh round picks, and when I think about Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, I think about what a compliment a guy like Juwan Johnson could be to that set of weapons for Daniel Jones. Yeah, definitely. The Giants could use another another receiver. I mean, they have Golden Tate, as you mentioned. I don't know that Golden Tate is the long-term answer. They've got him at mm-hmm. least for another year. Sterling Shepard, I'm a little nervous about him moving forward after he had the two concussions last year. Right. Darius Slayton was a tremendous find. And I just think this receiving sure. class is or just up. so deep. It's just so deep that that, you know, you'll probably come away with a guy who, you know, should have in, in ordinary years might have been like, a I don't know, a second or a third round pick. Maybe you can get him in late day three or something. Yes. I mean, that's how yes. deep this class exactly. is. So exactly. now uh, you guys also have a tight end, Jacob Breland. I don't think the Giants are going to be in the market per se for a tight end, but they may, you know, they already have six guys on the roster, but you never know. They might swap somebody out for a better option. So tell us a little bit about Breland. So Jacob Breland is uh, uh, an amazing find, in my opinion. And anyone who's willing to take take a chance on a guy with injury his, with, with this injury that he has, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, is going to be able to mine some gold from from this vein. Uh, he's a big tight end, 6'5", 250 pounds. Now, now, Jacob Breland, before he was injured, was... Uh, projected to go in the first round. I mean, uh, 
I've I've talked with uh, I think it's Mike Debate from Lockdown Patriots who said yeah they were looking at him at number 23 before his injury he hurt his knee and wound up sitting out. I think it was week five or six where he hurt himself. But at the time, he was Oregon's leading receiver with 400 yards and six or seven touchdowns. And he winds up hurting himself and being unable to participate in the combine, being unable to put up the numbers that he was. But if he had had been able to stay healthy for the entire season, he would have put up some some wonderful numbers and would definitely be talked about among the top tight ends. Uh, So – if someone's willing to take a chance on someone who's coming off of a knee injury, I think they could really find a diamond in the rough here. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be the Giants because, as you yeah. know, they have their own issues with Evan Ingram, who just, as talented as he is, the guy cannot stay on the field. And this is going to be a make-or-break thing, but uh, make-or-break year for him. But, um, you know, certainly, like I said, you never know. They might want to – turn over the bottom of the roster of that depth chart there and, and, and take a chance on someone. So always good to find out about these guys. Now, I think the one guy we haven't spoken about yet is on defense, and that would be Troy Dye. Yes, Troy Dye. Uh, we had a, a record number of seven Oregon Ducks go to the draft. Six of them were on the offense. One of them was on the defense, and that's Troy Dye. And I really, really like what Troy Dye brings to the table. Troy Dye and Justin Herbert were winners of the Oregon Ducks uh, team MVP award this year. And they both have won it three times. And the only other person in program history to win it, win the award three times is Marcus Mariota. Now, the reason I bring that up is because yes, there's that cliche that the linebackers the middle linebackers are, or in his case, a, a will linebacker. But anyway, linebacker is a quarterback of the defense. Well, he's literally as important to Oregon, you know, Pac-12 championship, Rose Bowl winning team as Justin Herbert was to the offense. And so I think that needs to be recognized. He's probably the best linebacker in Oregon program history. Um, he actually played the last several weeks with a club due to a broken thumb. And then he, he had a partially torn meniscus that an MRI uh, didn't reveal initially. So he continued to play on it for the rest of the season. So we're talking about a guy with, um, for at least for Oregon program, historic numbers in terms of tackles. And he winds up uh, uh, playing on this torn meniscus. The guy is tough as nails. If you want a, a lunch pail mentality, if you want someone who – has the eyes and the, the brain to read offenses and call it to the rest of the, the defense, then Troy dies your guy. And more than that, he's, he's fast. He's athletic. He, he kind of represents this, this new NFL. You know, they, we're looking a lot lately at like box safeties, right, where they bring the safety down into a, what is traditionally a linebacker position. But I see Troy die as, as yet another – modification of that position where he's talented enough versatile enough and fast enough to be doing nickel corner stuff to be doing you know uh qb spy to be doing dropping back and watching that deep field now i know that the 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 nfc east we have dak prescott carson wentz 
And we'll see uh, Dwayne Haskins uh, if he sticks around in Ron Rivera's offense or not. But the point is, these the, these quarterbacks work the intermediate areas. They work the middle of the field. And that is Troy Dye's specialty. Now, if someone's looking to run the ball down your throat, I got to admit that Troy Dye has his drawbacks as a, a run defender. But when it comes to defending the middle of the field, he is top-notch. And again, due to an injury, he's going to drop down in the ranks and be uh, available in uh, the, like the maybe the early third round or late second round. So was he more of a safety or a linebacker? He was more of a linebacker. And again, he's one of these one of these Oregon Ducks who had to play under different coaches and in different schemes. But he was a prolific tackler. And I've read, you know, different criticisms about his ability to tackle. But when you lead the Pac-12 in tackling, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how that criticism applies. The guy is strong. He's a good tackler. He's always on the ball. And, you know, when the play finishes, he's, he's always Johnny on the spot. All right. So bottom line it for me, based on all the prospects we talked about and the Giants needs, who do you think is going to be the best fit for the Giants? I think that there's a lot of benefit to be had from where Gettleman has arranged his draft picks, right? With these late rounders that he can get some of these guys to be able to develop. And that by develop, I don't mean they're not ready to play on day one. What I mean is that if they can, they can, you know, play behind a, a starter for a year, they're going to be outstanding players next year. But I, I, I listen to your show, and I know that Isaiah Simmons is, a, is kind of a big target, and Troy Dye is no Isaiah Simmons. So I, I honestly have to admit that, that he's not going to be on the radar, especially if uh, Isaiah falls to you at, uh, I mean, number four would be, if you don't trade out at number four, he'd certainly be a great pick there. Honestly, I really like what Calvin Throckmorton brings to the table. His smarts, his strength, and his versatility allow him to start at one position and back up another position. It's just that, that, that you know, Shane Lemieux is just solid at his position. I will say that Calvin Throckmorton has expressed interest in transitioning to guard and playing a guard, which may actually be a better fit at the NFL level. And you mentioned how that's not necessarily a, a, a need this year for the Giants. And so it really is a matter of whether or not Dave Gettleman is willing to invest in uh, two years from now. Okay. And then finally, what would be the biggest thing to surprise you in this draft with the Oregon Ducks? Well, the, the biggest surprise, and, and we talked quarterbacks at the beginning, would be that uh, the Bengals picked Joe Burrow because they've had the most face time and somehow, you know, coronavirus has sidelined team's abilities to meet with quarterbacks. That would be the uh, one big surprise. I would love to see Troy Dye go in the second round, and I think that whatever team drafts him is going to benefit greatly from that pick. But to answer your question, the biggest surprise would be Jawan Johnson getting picked up in this draft. Like I said, it's so deep, and every uh, a lot of people have <laughs> we have the need, the need for speed, and that that's this draft. So I'm I'm worried that Juwan Johnson is going to go undrafted. So biggest surprise for me, Juwan Johnson 
gets drafted. All right. Awesome stuff, as always, Jordan. Really appreciate uh, all the information. And and, uh, tell the folks again where they can find you on social media and uh, about any special shows that you might have coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at the dustoff guy, and you can follow the show on Twitter at locked on ducks. We also have a Facebook page for those of you where Twitter is not your jam. So just look up locked on ducks. You can find the Facebook page and you can always send in questions, comments. And I would actually really be interested in giants fans using the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag ask That's hashtag ask L O D P O D. And just send in some comments. It'll give me some stuff to talk about. I would love to have a, a follow-on show with Locked on Ducks where I kind of respond to what Giants fans might be uh, thinking about this conversation. Well, one thing I can tell you about my listeners, they send in some really great questions when I call for the Twitter Tuesday or Twitter Thursday mailbag. So, folks, you heard him. Send him his questions. Uh, Jordan's always happy to answer. He's a real great guy, as you can hear very knowledgeable about the ducks and Jordan, if the giants do end up with any ducks, I will probably invite you on the show again as a follow-up and we'll probably have another conversation down the line. It'd be an honor. I love what the giants are doing. And I think that uh, there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to. All right. Well, I appreciate you and I hope uh, you and yours remain safe and healthy all right, that's going to conclude the show with Patricia Trena, the host of Locked On Giants. Really hope you enjoyed that and can't wait to hear from you. And we'll be having more interviews with other Locked On hosts coming in, in the days ahead. But for now, have a great day and go Ducks! Go Ducks!